In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As I face our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and drop out of the sky in this Mecca of both athletic prowess and academic prowess, I ask the Lord, well, what, what do we pray about? Well, I'm not very original, uh, since this is a center of Opus Dei, and we want to tap in a little bit into the spirituality of St. Jose Maria, which is for public consumption. This week marks a custom that he started. It's called Novena to the Immaculate Conception. And it always starts with the Feast of St. Andrew, which sets the tone for the Novena. And what is the object of the game, this Novena? So that we could be witnesses, and through our relationships and through our friendships, attract other people to Christ, through our words as well. I'm supposed to ask people personal questions. That's part of my job description. And sometimes I get in trouble for not asking personal questions. You probably get in trouble for asking personal questions. I get in trouble for not. You know, I was mildly corrected that it was a guy. I'm not here to talk about football for the next half hour. I'm here to get spiritual direction. So start ask, asking me questions. We're running out of time. Okay. Um, so anyway. So when I try to do my job and ask personal questions, um, in order to give spiritual direction, I need a little bit of a background check. Okay, well, in terms of practice of your faith, how, how committed are you to the Christian faith, uh, to the Catholic faith? And usually the answer is, I need a lot of improvement. But there's about 5% guys and girls who say, I'm a work in progress, but thank God because of my conversion and because of graces, I, I think I'm a pretty good Catholic. And then they turn red. I, 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 that sounds arrogant. No, it is. And I, I'm asking you, and I want a, an honest answer. So you give me an honest answer. Thank you. I go, okay, now give me another honest answer. Why do you think you are a good Catholic. And the invariable answer is, well, I say the rosary on the train, and on weekends I try to say it with my family, or I try to say it in front of an image of Mary. Um, I, what else do I do? I go to daily mass twice a week. Anyway, I understand. Last time I checked daily, it means every day, but I go twice a week in addition to Sunday. Or some people say, I go to daily Mass twice a week, and that includes a Sunday Mass. So they go one, one day a week for daily Mass. Okay. And Eucharistic adoration, and I take the 
this last person told me, I take the midnight shift or I take the two o'clock in the morning shift uh, once a week. So, yeah, the person usually said, well, in comparison to everybody else, I guess you would qualify me, qualify me as a good Catholic. But one thing is missing if we're going to look at the gospel and listen to Christ and look at the gospel characters and study and pray about the words of Jesus. It's this one thing drastically missing. I mean, if we're going to look at the gospel. It's all about bringing the gospel to everyone. That's Catholic, which comes from a Greek word. I guess it's katholikos, my educated guess. I'm sure I have a few classic majors up, out there giggling. Um, but it means universal. That as we start to approach Advent in a couple of days and the Christmas season, Jesus, in a certain sense, is evangelization. What's the first description of Jesus? I'm good news of great joy. I'm good. What do you do with good news? You give it away. I got good news. I mean, the very the term means give it away. I have good news of great joy. And what is the purpose of joy? Well, I'm not going to sit in my room and be joyful, right? Okay, I'm just going to hoard my joy. The very nature of joy is to transmit that joy, to give that joy away. And just in case we don't get that meaning, the first, I guess the literal first instruction of the gospel is given by angels. When... Jesus is born, he says, the angels tell the shepherds, it's for all the people. This good news is for everybody. So in a certain sense, the gospel begins the way it ends. It ends the way it begins. It begins by saying, good news of great joy to all the people. John is more of a theologian, and he says he is the life and light of every human being, to paraphrase chapter 1 of John's Gospel. And the grand finale is make disciples of all nations. When, when Saint Jose Maria was spreading this vision, he literally had a vision, on October 2nd, 1928, after praying very hard for over 10 years, I don't mean, you know, Hail Mary before he went to bed, you know, all-nighters, all-afternooners, those kinds of things. He had special graces for that. And after 10 years of doing that, during a retreat, he saw that Christ wanted to be inside the modern world in a more intense way, in a more real way. And the burden of evangelization would be radically new, and it would fall on the shoulders, not, of, not on the archbishop or the parish priest. They have an indispensable role. 
but the trench warfare, love and peace, falls on the shoulders of the lay people, the ordinary person in the middle of the world. And that vision was certainly the case. So he's asked, they ask uh, St. Josemar, well, who are your patron saints, who are your role models, because you know, he never got it right. He was labeled as a heretic, this very liberal way of living Catholicism in, in those 30s and 40s, because if you really wanted to do it right, you would have to go off and become a nun or become a religious or become a priest, but you just can't be a cab driver and pretend to change the world or to evangelize the world or to be a teacher or a lawyer or a homemaker or whatever. And he says that the burden is on that man or woman in the thick of things. And I think from the perspective of, of today's culture, where we find ourselves in a, a modern ancient Rome, where the moral issues are, are very similar, if not the same, they didn't have, they didn't have satellite TV though in those days or cell phones or internet, but the moral issues, I'm not going to do it because, you know, I just dropped out of the sky and I'll disappear. If I read chapter the end of chapter one of the Romans, I'll get you all depressed and I don't want to do that. I want to you know, keep it a little bit light. But anyway, Paul just reads a whole litanies of woes, of all sorts of obstacles he's going through uh, in his own work of evangelization. And our Lord is asking us to truly be Christian, truly be Catholic, and to be a good Christian, that evangelical peace needs to be there. Listen, I, Eucharistic adoration is indispensable, Mass is indispensable, the Rosary is extremely important, all these acts of piety, but that's not the whole picture. And it's kind of interesting, if you, if you keep that in mind, that Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he wants his good, his good news spread. Because what is his good news? It, it's true freedom. It's true joy. It's true peace. It's true love. And it's grace that overcomes sin. And the power of our Lord's grace is much more powerful than all these isms out there, materialism, hedonism, moral relativism, you know. You probably have a lot more isms you could mention, but you know you understand what I'm saying. And so the the gospel, this spreading of the gospel, and and we see kind of a pattern begins with a teenage girl. And what happens? Well, the angel approaches Mary and tells her that the evangelization of the world, this kingdom that will have no end, this salvation of humanity, depends on her. And I know in the creed we say that God the Son was incarnated by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, but that overshadowing rested on this girl saying yes. So she gives a colossal yes. And she is the one who gets the ball rolling. And she gets the ball, and we see from the get-go 
that there is an intimate link between a total commitment to Christ. Now, I'm not pushing any particular vocation, so you know, don't, don't give me dirty looks or frown. But he, we see this, this connection between commitment and bringing our Lord into the world. At the same time, we notice, you know, no pun intended, that, that Christianity, that's this change of the world, begins, and I think it continues in a certain sense to be the same, as a ma and pa operation. It begins with God the Father and, and Mary. So that's, I guess that's ma and pa in a certain sense. But it's kind of folksy, very folksy. You know, who are the protagonists? Well, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, um, who are the foundations of Christianity? Well, you have these uh, fishermen. You have a mafia type who becomes an apostle. His name is Matthew. He was a tax collector. They were the ancient version of, mafia, of organized crime. They extorted money and worked for the Romans. So they were a despicable bunch in the eyes of the Jewish people. And so they were all friends of Jesus. They were a couple of cousins of his. Uh, and that's how it begins. It begins with, and, and it kept developing, it went viral in a sense, this ma and pa operation, this one-on-one, -on -one, this, you know, this evangelization of brothers. Uh, our Lord runs into holy women and they undergo big conversions. And up to this very present day. I mean, we have the, what we have over the early Christians is that they needed a, a, a deep faith because now, in hindsight, well, Christianity has really spread. Now, we see here that the very first followers, the absolute first followers of Jesus, are Andrew and John. Let me just read. So John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and he probably talks to Jesus, I'm going to introduce you to a couple of guys. Those could be your first disciples. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. These are the very first evangelical words. No, you know, <coughs> drawn-out theological treatise, no big debate. And what's going on here is that they see Jesus. They meet his eyes. They speak to him. And basically, when he says, come and see, he's, gonna, he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you an explanation of why you are moved by me. I mean, they're moved by him. And so they're not, notice, they're not asking, can you explain what the redemption's all about or what the incarnation's all about? They see him and, and they want to follow him. They want, they want more contact with him. There's something about him that draws these two young men. One is John, he doesn't mention his name. The other one is Andrew. And so they're eager 
They're attracted to him. And so he says, come and see. And so as, as Pope Francis says so often and how important that is right now, that the first apostolic step or evangelical step is to attract people to Christ by our joy and by our affection for others. So, and our Lord doesn't say, okay, well, listen, come again, you know, come again from uh, more uh, links or, you know, whatever they ate in those days, or matzo balls, you know, come on over. Uh, matzo balls and honey, you know, they didn't have sugar in those days, but they did have honey. All right, come on over. You know, what does he say? Bring your brother. John, bring your brother James. Andrew, bring your brother Peter. And there, and what, what goes on? Well, the same, same thing happens. Andrew wants to see, Peter wants to meet Jesus because Andrew's pumped. And he probably said, Andy, what, something, something must have happened today. You're kind of in a good mood. You're kind of, you're accelerated. Maybe I need to give you a tranquilizer. <laughs> you know, what's wrong? You know, Andy, you know, usually you're, you're more of a flag, but today you're not. You know, you're really intense. You know, chill out, you know. And he said, I just met the Messiah. You got to meet him. You, you, you got to do it. Well, I'm, I'm fishing tomorrow. Put it off. We're not, we're not going to fish. We're not going to fish tomorrow. We, this is really worth it. I got to put... F- fish on the table. Well, we're going to put, postpone that. So one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So already, and our Lord, when he, he he's going to say, change the entire world, but he tells him, well, first begin with your brother. First begin with your friend. First begin with your cousin. Now, if I stopped here, I'd be terribly unfair to you. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Evangelize the world. Go out there. You know, Our Lord says we are lambs, we are like sheep in the midst of wolves. And that applies today, too. I was fortunate enough today and um, visited a very holy woman. Maybe some of you know her. Terminally ill, and um, there's kind of a kind of a endless train of people visiting her. So her family's a little bit torn, not too torn, but uh, when you're really sick and you're as good as this person, you're always trying to be on and make you know talk about Pete, talk you know draw people out and help people have a nice time and be very attentive, be very alert, uh, keep the conversation going, it can be tiring. It is, that could be, it is very tiring. And people are flying in from all over the country to see her, family, friends, spending time, etc. So, you know, I talk, pull the husband aside and he's saying, well, we got to be a little bit prudent so that she, you know, conserve her energy. But uh, basically, uh, she wants her energy to deal with people. And um, I've made the judgment call, he said, because she likes, uh, she loves her family and loves her friends so much. Doesn't matter if she's more tired than usual. 
especially when you know you're terminally ill and this is what she really wants. So I'm I'm trying to be prudent, conserve her energy, so she could keep doing more of this. But she he's, he's saying you know, it's an endless stream of people. And uh, he said it's great to see the concern. And I said, well, they're concerned, and they're they really love her. But there's a holy selfishness here. So I got his attention. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know. Maybe they're, they, they're coming to get something out of her. He said, they are? I go, yeah, she's a holy woman. Oh, well, of course, yeah. I said, you know, it's, this, is a, this is a marvelous witness. And when you have this kind of witness, fine, yeah, we, we, I'm going to visit, I may not see her again, I, she's my friend, she's my mother, or she's my sister, whatever it is, but I'm here also to be edified, to be renewed, to even be converted with someone so close to God, and who is witnessing the beauty of the cross of Christ. And, you know, he totally agreed. You know, yeah, I, yeah, that's kind of obvious, too, that they're coming to draw something from her, from the experience. It's, it's, it's always a good experience. And, and it fits this gospel. Now, Jesus talks to Andrew, talks to Peter, now he's going to make a major move. You know, he's already telling him to bring brothers and friends and everything, but now he's going to tell them something else. He's going to explain in a very explicit way, and Andrew and his brother Peter are part of a very unique miracle, a miracle that will be in the memory bank of every disciple of Christ till the end of time. And it's an allegory, it really happened, but it's an allegory of this new evangelization the recent popes talk about, starting with John Paul, Benedict, Pope Francis. Pope Francis refines it and he says, well, step number one is to give people an experience of our Lord. And it makes all the sense of the world in a culture where it's post-Christian, that they don't understand the Christian vocabulary, even the Christian morality. We need to lead with witness, just like our Lord when he encountered those apostles. Where do you live, Lord? We're attracted to you. Come and see. Jesus defines your vocation or my vocation. Peter, he just hauls in a record catch of fish and uh, never did it before. He, now he's spooked. He realized, I think he is God. Uh, I'm not in your league. I'm, I'm a pretty sinful guy. I'm weak. Uh, I'm, I'm in over my head. No pun intended. All right. Uh, Go after somebody better. But Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the catch of the fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. So these first apostles were part of this colossal miracle. And it was a teaching moment. And Jesus says to Peter, 
do not be afraid. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching men. And this is what I want to dwell on for a minute. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They put him first. The heart of the new evangelization, yes, it's to deal with people, it's to contact people, it's to give people an experience of Christ, but the dynamism to do that, the force, the energy source to do that, is that I make Christ first. And, and it's throughout the gospel. John the Baptist put Christ first. Mary put Christ first. The apostles, in spite of their weaknesses, they had a, that, that was the condition. You've got to put me first. You have to leave all things and follow me. You do that, you'll start attracting men and women to the gospel. And I want to just finish up with, <coughs> excuse me, point in Furrow, written by St. Jose Maria, point 185. When you launch out into the apostolate, be convinced that it is always a question of making people happy, very happy. Truth is inseparable from true joy. And we could add that that true joy will come to the degree that I give myself totally to Christ. Mary, we pray to you. Help us repeat with you, with our actions, with our dispositions and our resolutions, your colossal yes you offer to God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.